from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. The Thurber House's Fall 2017 Evenings with Authors season kicks off on September 7th with Sally Fingerette, well-known folk singer, songwriter, and a founding member of the musical comedy theater troupe Four Bitchin' Babes. She'll be talking and maybe singing about her memoir, The Mental Yentl, on September 7th at Thurber. So welcome to Craft, Sally Fingerette. Thanks, Doug. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. So tell me about The Mental Yentl. You've well, got a book, you've got a CD, it's all forms of media. What, what's going on? It is a, it's a bucket list project. So okay. for many, many years, and I've been in the Four Bitch and Babes 27 years we've been doing this. I am one of, one of the founding mothers. And, uh, you know, after all these years of doing original material on stage around the country and all the stories that go with those songs that I wrote and setting the songs up, in a theatrical venue for their performance, those are all true stories. The songs, of course, are written from events in my life. So I, I frankly came into my office and started cleaning and found all these stories and songs that I haven't sung in 30 years. And I realized that, you know, in memoir form, it's pretty much my life, these stories and these songs. So based on Spotify, Pandora, and Amazon and Google, monkeying around with our royalties in publishing for music, I decided to sort of reclaim all my intellectual property. So I remastered my entire library of hits of songs, my most popular requested songs, and I decided to make this fun book with essays and some secret recipes, of course, uh, that are all the stories that were the inspiration behind the songs that I wrote. So in the book, there's 44 essays and 34 song lyrics. So 34 of these essays were the moments in time that inspired the songs. The double-disc CD, The Mental Yentl, Songs from a Lifelong Student of Crazy, is the compilation of my my catalog and um, pretty much the most important songs to me mm-hmm. and so they're the uh, the soundtrack to the book and the book is called the mental yentl stories from a lifelong student of crazy mm-hmm. so what is a mental yentl you're probably asking i'm i'm curious the uh, yentl um, i'm only familiar with the movie right barbara streisand right. It's, this is based on the isaac Bishevis singer story yentl the yeshiva boy okay. yentl was the girl's name for the the young lady who wanted to study the torah and the religious books in Russia during a time when this was not allowed. Women were not allowed. Right. So to me, a yentl represents a woman who just yearns to hold close to her soul everything that she wants to learn and know. And because I was raised pretty much by wolves, I was always a student of crazy. My mother was an undiagnosed manic depressive until I was 18. But she was... um, a tiny bit unhinged, I'm just going to put it lovingly, during my childhood, with along with my older siblings. And so I have a wacky viewfinder. I've really studied uh, the fact that my DNA is loaded with, with wackadoodle, and uh, I've learned to celebrate it. And the book is really kind of a loving look at the women in my family. Okay. 
Have you shared it with the women in your family? Have you? What, no, they're what, all dead. I could not write this while they were alive. Okay. No. That, that was my follow-up question. Yeah, was, no. Uh, did you? But did you write? <laughs> but you wrote the songs while they were alive. Yeah, is that, yeah. So did and they, they ever all came know? to my shows. Okay. The truth is that there's, you know, I don't like people. They don't need to be in my underwear drawer. So there's nothing scathing in this book other than some just very stereotypical ethnic behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it was it was no it was no easy task being uh, Naomi Garfinkel Fingerette's daughter. I was the mm-hmm. de- designated caregiving daughter. My parents actually moved here to Columbus from Chicago when my father retired. He could not handle her, and so she became mine. Hmm. And I was a, a young mother with a marriage that was not terrific, and I had a dependent mother on my hands. Mm-hmm. And I was the basic sandwich generation all by, you know, 28 years ago. My daughter's now 31. So the stories in my life are pretty much come from those days and those events that every woman had, you know, from giving birth to burying, burying a parent and everything in between. And the songs are just my release factor as an artist all these years. Right. And I made a living from it. So Right. And you've got songs on here that I notice are, are sort of specific. The Ballad of Harry and Esther. Yeah. Are those <laughs> two people that uh, uh-huh. names have been changed to protect the innocent or not? Uh, yeah. Well, we have a bunch of Harrys and a bunch of Esthers because okay. a Jewish family is going to. But they were the people. They were an elderly couple that sat next to my grandparents. I really thought they were an aunt and an uncle. They could have been like my grandparents' um, cousins. You know, there's lineage. Right. Who Everybody's an aunt and uncle. The uncles were the men with the pants up to their waist, and the aunts wore horrible shoes. So these were just people. And, and they, um, Harry and Esther, I remember one time I was in the stories in the book. I'm hiding under my mother's chair because, you know, the grown-ups table was where it was happening. And Harry and Esther got into this horrible fight. And I later said to my mother, I was a little girl, I was probably five or six, I said, Mom, I, I just don't get it. You know, why did, why do Annie Harry and Uncle Esther, or Ann Esther and Uncle Harry get, right. get married because they hate each other? They just hate, they're so mean. And she said, and this is true, Sally, what they have is a thing of beauty and it's not for us to question. <laughs> And, of course, that explains my first marriage, you know, because that was how I was raised. I feel like that that would just lead more questions. You know, uh, I I don't think I could get away with that with my kids. So your response was, oh, that's okay. I'm I'm not going to No, I was told to go to bed, and I didn't want the wrath, so I went right to bed. But these are the things that our generation in the 50s, I mean, we just didn't do what today's kids do. So Mm -hmm. this is a bit of a baby boomer book, I would think. But um, like my nieces and nephews— they have children now, and they they say, "Well, this is a good heads up." So mm-hmm. it's it's just girl stuff. Okay, so tell me about Jewish kid born on Christmas Day talking blues. That's me. That may be the longest title. Uh, Jewish of, kid of born on Christmas Day talking blues. Yes, right. it's a long song as yeah. well. <laughs> so you were born on Christmas Day. Yeah, and it's a rap yeah. on on the CD. It's sort of um, the talking blues like Woody Guthrie, right. that old you know one four five chord progression. But I, it's sort of like you know, back in nineteen fifty four down in Chicago by the South Shore, baby girl was born one Christmas morn. Ooh, here comes drama. Of those Christmas babies that arrive, she's one of the lucky in the first five. Wins free diapers, whole year's supply. Got a happy mama. 
So it goes on and on about really uh, being Jewish and being born on Christmas and how it, it stinks out loud. It's awful. Okay. Okay. That kind uh, of thing. But it gives you maybe um, some leverage uh, to say to the children, we're not celebrating Christmas, but you should make as big a deal over mom's birthday. Oh, as well, you see other people making over Christmas, right? That seems to me like well, a positive. Yeah, the, no, the the book, the songs, most of them are funny. Um, mm-hmm. If you know the the kind of stuff that I write, right. it's mainly that. However, being Jewish and being born on Christmas, um, the truth is, we just sort of waited. You know, come Christmas Eve, everything came to a screeching halt, and then we had to wait until life got back to normal, basically after the first of January. But we didn't have a tree. We were really Jewish, and we were alienated in the 50s and 60s. It was, you know, that's back before there was cable television. There was nothing on television. The stores were closed. Everything was off, shut down. So it's a comedy song about what life was like for Jewish children. But even my daughter, when she was in school, came home crying because she wasn't included in the Christmas exchange. So um, she recovered. <laughs> I, on the other hand, yeah. have not. not. Okay. She okay. is, yeah. So, but it's not dedicated to any uh, particular people that uh, excluded at the time. Oh no, no, so, no, no, no! Because no. yeah, no, and, and the punchline is because you know, um, well, you have to hear the song, but there's a punchline in it about uh, the baby Jesus also being a Jewish kid born on Christmas Day. Right. So you know, there you have it. it. Yeah, no. yeah, okay. It's a so, loving look at that. <laughs> Uh, tell me about Faces on My Wall. That's ah, another song on here that... That's uh, a serious song. Serious. Um, when my mother passed away in 2001, my dad was downsizing the, the house in Florida, and I, um, I went down to help. Now, my mother had had this really horrific childhood. Her, her parents um, were... She, my mother was a first-generation American. Or her parents came from Russia. And um, her father was shot and killed in his store in Chicago when my mom was seven. And then four years later, when my mom was 11, her mother died of cancer at the age of 36. So my mother was raised in an orphanage. So for all her craziness, we have lovingly you know, forgiven. The, uh, Superman would have needed a break from that. Um, and so my mother's boxes of photographs from her personal, her side of the family were like not at all. And so everybody else was my father's. So we're getting to the bottom of these boxes and boxes of photographs, and we find one photograph, a studio photo in a very large old oval frame, and it was the only picture my parents, my mother had of her parents. It was their wedding photo. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. My mother was an orphan. I didn't really know this story. She never took us to a cemetery. She never told us about them at all. Mm-hmm. So while I did, during the research for my book, I found their graves in Chicago. I visited them. But... It all came from Ancestry.com and this photograph. So I opened up the old crusty back of this frame, and I opened it up, and more photographs fell out. Well, too late. Nobody knows who these people are. Mm -hmm. So I just took them all home to Columbus, Ohio from Florida, and I put them on my wall, and I have no idea who they are. But I know they're mine. And so I wrote them a song. When you're writing the song, how much license do you get to imagine? What is your limit towards um, when you're thinking about these people that you think you're related to, but you're not really sure? They, I would have to be. <laughs> um, creative. Okay, so you're talking about creative nonfiction. Um, I think as a writer who has you know done essays in memoir form, you know you 
you can't be like uh, with Jeffrey Ward, the the writer. Everything he writes, he quotes from letters. He takes no liberty. Um, I that's not the case with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I have incorporated actually. Uh, I don't have a photograph of this one gentleman, but he's in the song because I found him in Israel after, sort of after the fact. And he had survived the camps and he had a number on his arm. So he's in the song, uh, even though his picture is sort of not. But mm-hmm. um, as a writer, when you're inspired by something, you're inspired by this truth. You don't veer too much from the real, I don't think. Okay. Are the pictures still up? Yeah, you bet. Yeah, sure. Okay. I spent a fortune framing them. <laughs> and I also They're found, by the way... too expensive to oh. give away. I found those. They're too expensive to give away now. No, and you know yeah. what else? There's one, actually, of my mother as a baby that's, um, like, cracked down the middle. And I was going to restore it. And I thought, I'm afraid to let it out of my hands. So I just reframed it at uh, mm-hmm. Joanne Fabrics with a 60% off coupon. Right, yeah. yeah. I went there yesterday with... Uh, I had an 80 off. You did not? Yeah, no, there was a 60 plus a 20 or oh, something okay. like this. Oh, okay, yeah, because I, I would have to, seen that. I gave this to my wife, and, yeah. and she framed something, and um, the price was shocking. I know. I see what you're saying. It's great. Um, oh, I know, it's really ridiculous to frame stuff. Well, yeah, you know, uh, I think poster frames are cool, right? Because they're <laughs> like 10 bucks a piece. You've also got one called Home is Where the Heart Is on here that was covered by Peter, Paul, and Mary. Right, in 1994, I... Um, I woke up with a virus that left me for a year with paralyzed vocal cords. And I had written this song in 1990 when I think Ryan White was on the cover of People magazine. And I had to explain to my daughter about AIDS. And we lived in Clintonville at the time. And we had uh, just house after house of, you know, gays and lesbians living near us. And, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And they were wonderful uh, to Elizabeth. And... So it was this culmination of the song wrote itself, um, and it's just a song of compassion um, for AIDS survivors, victims, um, alternate light, you know, alternative um, mommies, daddies' houses, and things like this. But when I had this vocal cord paralysis, Christine Lavin, who was in The Babes at the time, took the song and sent it to Peter, Paul, and Mary. Mm-hmm. And I, that's when I started doing more writing as far as prose because I couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. And um, What was your reaction when you heard Peter, Paul, and Mary were going to cover the song? Oh, I don't remember. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I really, can you, I can't. You just blanked. I, uh, yeah. yeah. I'm sure it was a wonderful reaction <laughs> because I think nobody, nobody sets out. I don't know. I'm not a hit writer. So I don't go to Nashville and sit in rooms and write hits or hope to write hits. I just write what I feel, what I see. It's my process. There's so much joy in the creative process. I rarely think about the outcome, okay. except I'm glad to have a, a ven- you know, venues to perform and sing the songs and share. However, um, it was a dream come true that I wouldn't dare dream. Mm-hmm. And we can join you in that dream on September 7th when you're at the Thurber House and you'll be reading from and possibly I'll singing. I'll be doing, oh yeah, I'm singing. No, possibly no, no. Possibly singing. I'll be doing from, what we're going to say. Well, I'll be doing pieces, both musical and prosical. Prosical. From, prosical. From okay. the book and CD, yeah. Okay. Well, Sally Fingerette, I thank you very much for talking with me today oh, on Craft you, and we look forward to seeing you at Thurber House. Join us. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative.